0: Everything is so quiet and it's so still, but it's also very chaotic. So like there's this balance of these both worlds and I'm choosing to sit in this stillness right now and have the inspiration come to me. I believe that the opposite of depression,
1: it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world.
2: Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Take the next step in your creative journey with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people on topics including illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more. Get two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes at skillshare.com dreamjob2. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Well, another day, another weekend. And we are getting through this one day at a time. I feel like some moments are so much harder than others. Sometimes I just feel like so overwhelmed with grief and sadness. I just give myself a pass. And, um, yesterday I just laid in the hammock for a little bit and just looked up at the sky. And that was all I could do for a little while and, um, I had a glass of rose. And, uh, I watched the last episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was like waiting to watch it because I knew that once I watched it, then I would be done with the season. Um, it's an intense time, but what's been interesting is that of all the things in my life, the thing that feels the most alive is my business. I'm just seeing just in the data, how many people are online and how much is happening with people becoming entrepreneurs and doing things they always wanted to do, but they were putting off and now they're going to be their own bosses. And they're the attention is here. Like what we're seeing, we're seeing the kinds of numbers that we saw, like in 2007, and 2008, with people tuning in and just connecting online and creating incredible ways to serve and to be there for each other. And speaking of online, I'm going to be live tonight. And Wednesday night, we're going to continue on with the Don't Keep Your Day Job Book Club. If you want to sign up for it, it's free. You can go to kathyheller.com slash book club. And when you sign up, you'll be sent the replay in case you miss it while I'm live on Instagram and Facebook in the community. And we'll also send you some actionable homework and takeaways. And then I'll be giving away some gift cards to those of you who do your homework. So you may as well join it because it's free. kathyheller.com slash book club. I'll be there tonight and Wednesday night. All right, now let's talk about today's guests. I'm so excited about today's episode because you're going to love these two and I'll introduce them in a second. But this conversation was all about how do you build a brand? How do you create something from scratch? How do you create something that works online? And this is all super relevant to what everyone is struggling with right now, asking themselves the question of how can we pivot? How can we make something that people want? How can we build an audience that's engaged? And how can we be successful even in in moments like this, especially when we can't necessarily take part in the brick and mortar experience as much as we were, and we need to do things online? These two have such an incredible story, and their example is just riveting of what they were able to build. So let me introduce you. Today, we have this amazing couple. Christy Dawn is here with her awesome husband, R.S. Biskowskis. They are the founders of Christy Dawn. It's a sustainable fashion brand with some of the most gorgeous pieces. And what's amazing is that since the beginning of their brand, they were using the leftover fabric from other fashion houses, but now they've gone even further with it and they are getting into regenerative farming and investing in land to ensure that the cotton is being grown sustainably and ethically. They're both incredible people amazing backgrounds. You're going to hear all about it. I think you'll be so inspired by how resourceful they've been and how successful their business continues to be, even though we're in a time where we think an item like a dress wouldn't necessarily be considered essential. You're going to get so much out of this episode. Also, just a heads up, this is recorded while we are in quarantine. So you might hear some kids running around and a little bit of background noise. So please forgive us for that. I know that you're going to love these two amazing souls Without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Christy and Aras. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you guys making the time. Yeah. So Christy's here and Aras is here, her husband, and we are going to talk about how you guys have built such a beautiful brand and such an awesome community around what you're doing. So why don't you both tell me a little bit about where you were at? Why don't we start with Christy? Why don't you go back a little bit and tell us a little about that journey that led you to? where you are.
0: Yeah. So I grew up in a really small town called Placerville, California. We lived on 10 acres and my mom would, she would sew a lot of my clothes because we couldn't really go to the malls. So my mom and I kind of created my closet when I was younger and which I really think led me to where we are now. But um, my mom would help create or recreate these garments at thrift stores, really. They weren't vintage stores in Northern California. And, uh, you know, I was in school and I was like such a tomboy. I was once at the mall once, <laughs> one time, and I got stopped by a photographer and she was younger. And she was like, you know, you're so beautiful. Like, I'd love to take photos of you. Are you a model? And I was like, no. And I had people like stop me before. Cause I was really tall too. when I was younger and say you know like we should get you an agency but we lived in the middle of nowhere and it was like yeah that's not really gonna happen here in Placerville (laughs) but then I was like you know what why not like let's see I was 13 took some photos with her sent them to an agency I got signed right away I booked a job like a month later and started making like really good money but I was young you know still in school and I had really supportive parents well my mom was very supportive my dad too but he was kind of just working a lot but so my mom would take me to these castings all the time and, you know, it just progressively got more and more jobs. And I never really loved high school. I really wanted to get out of my town. So, um, yeah, I modeled. i moved to San Francisco for a year. And then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to model. So then I came to L.A. and while I was in L.A., I would vintage shop and I would take my dresses to my tailor and I would recreate my dresses with my tailor and I would get so many compliments while I was on these shoots mostly while I was on the shoots because the stylists or the art directors they would notice it and they're like where'd you get that dress and I'd be like oh I got it at a thrift store and then you know I take it to my tailor and I recreate it with my tailor and I remember seeing like people really respond to that and be like that's so cool like that's an amazing dress And so that kind of sparked this whole idea of maybe having a dress line down the road or just a company down the road. Like I knew I wanted to have my own thing because I was realistic that I wasn't going to be able to model forever. And then while I was modeling, I also, I would do some freelance design work for some other companies like Forever 21 and Reformation. So I got to like really learn while I was freelancing, but also while I was modeling too, I would ask so many questions and just really like created this database in my head of like, oh, that's what that looks like when you're shooting e-commerce or, oh, that's what the stylist does or, oh, look at. I'd ask questions about the design team and like how their work was. And then Otis and I had been boyfriend and girlfriend and he had a hat company at the time. And I came home from a shoot and I was like, this is like just so uninspiring. And I came home from one specific shoot that was a sustainable brand. And I was like, I just feel like we could do this way better. And i was like i don't know how to do it and i didn't even say we at the time because i didn't consider him to be in it with me but uh he was at his desk and he kind of like turned his chair around and was like i'll do it with you let's do this so that was the start of christy dawn
2: i love the story first of all it's so just nice to hear that somebody grew up on 10 acres and their mom sewed their clothes and then i also just love that every single time i talk to anybody who is successful, it starts with one thing and then it inevitably pivots to something else. Mm -hmm. But you only find that second or third thing by doing the first thing. So I love that you just followed that curiosity. I guess I would like to try modeling. Let's try it. And then you're on these shoots and then people are like, oh, I like your clothes. And then that leads to this next curiosity. Mm -hmm. And then the big thing, which I just want to reiterate for my audience, which you said, and I didn't know how to do that. Because mm-hmm. I think right now in this time, there's so much that we don't know how to do. Yeah. And there's so much that feels completely overwhelming and, and there's a lot of need to pivot. And we're like, but I don't know how, therefore, mm-hmm. I guess the answer is a big, I'm going to come up with zeros Yeah. and then we're going to hear the rest of this story, but it's about being resourceful and figuring it out, even if you have zero clue in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So Ades, why don't you tell us where you're coming so that we can find you how you guys meet at this point.
3: Yeah, so I grew up, my father was an entrepreneur. He, he was in the hardwood floor business, you know, manual labor, and he did quite well for himself just doing that. And, and then um, our family is Lithuanian, that's why my name is so uncommon. And the Soviet Union had collapsed, and so he went back, and he started investing in businesses in Lithuania, and um, totally failed. Um, like Mm. we went from having, you know, any shoe we wanted to like, all right, we're going to get a pair of shoes once a year kind of thing. And I was like 11 or 12 when that was happening. But my father did finally realize like importing to a country that had just kind of, made it through an economic collapse was probably not the best move, but exporting was the move. And so he started exporting these Russian winter hats. And I'm just about to hit puberty, super self-conscious. And, and now we have 75,000 Russian winter hats on pallets in our backyard. And I was mortified. Oh my gosh, how embarrassing.
2: That's not the move to get the girl in sophomore year of high school.
3: Right. So these were always something that like I despised. Anyways, I played college basketball. And while I was there, I got my master's in business. Can we
2: not skip over that? Cause that's ridiculous. Come on. It's a BFD. Where did you play?
3: I played at UC Irvine.
2: Awesome. And did you love it?
3: I did and I didn't. I, I loved the camaraderie. I loved our team. We had a lot of success. College athletic level of like emotional abuse that happens with the coaching staff is, it needs to be reined in. Let's just say that like, to be perfectly honest It led me to my own personal spiritual awakening, which I'm super grateful for. It wasn't easy, but it's much like where we are right now, right? Like, it's really uncomfortable. People are really scared. Like, wonderful. This is where we transform. This is where we change, and it's not easy. Change is never easy, but when you feel a lot of pressure, it's probably a good sign that the flower is about to open, right?
2: Such a beautiful, helpful, important way to look at that. So that led you to your own healing. You also, before I interjected, you were about to say that you got an MBA.
3: I got my MBA while playing basketball there. And so I was equipped with every theory necessary to start a business. And so, you know, I was young. I was 22 years old with an MBA and I was like, I'm going to go travel. So I went to South Africa and um, well, before South Africa, I was like, I'm going to go play professional basketball in Europe. I smoked a joint on a bridge in Europe and I realized that I was totally miserable and I didn't want to play basketball anymore. And all I really wanted to do was explore my own relationship to happiness because it was something I had never thought about before. I was never like, Oh my God, is it my choice? No, it was always someone else's choice. It was always some external event or person that was responsible. And so I had this like incredible realization, which really rooted back to like all the pain and suffering with the college coach and like, all of which was mine. You know, I'm not like, I'm not, I have no bitterness towards that. But so I was like, all right, I don't want to play basketball anymore. What do I want to do? I want to go home and study happiness. And for me, it meant like going to yoga, which was a place I never wanted to go to before. And like I started eating vegetarian and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to explore what it means to be happy. And that led me to South Africa where a buddy was like, Hey man, come out here and live with me for a while. So I did. And having only like practiced yoga for two months previous to that, I ended up through kind of a very interesting path, like opening a yoga studio there, teaching only what I knew, but there was no yoga there at the time. So I was just sharing what I knew.
2: Love that. Love that. Want to put a gold star next to that point. So good.
3: Every night while I was like asleep, I would wake up with these dreams of rebranding my dad's winter hat company. Like, I was just like, I need to do this. I I need to do this. And so when my visa ran out, I decided I would help my dad. And I was like, dad, I'm going to help you rebrand your company, your Russian winter hat company. It was called Baltic Rim. I was like, let's not call it anything Baltic. Let's call it tundra gear. Let's sell these hats to fans in cold stadiums and put NFL logos on them. And people want to look crazy and they want to be warm. Let's do this. And he's like, I don't need your help. Start your own. And so I did. My, my grandfather, when he passed away, had left me $5,000 that I was going to inherit when I was 25. I was 23. And so my mother loaned me the money and I started. And I didn't know that $5,000 was really not enough to do anything. I just, I didn't know. So I did it. And as luck would have it, I was invited to go on Survivor, like right as I was starting. So I went on Survivor and I won a million dollars. So now I had this war chest. To start my right why now.
2: is it that every two minutes you say something that like no one ever says he's a special unicorn
3: <laughs> <laughs> so yes i win survivor which seems like you know there's this this there's like the, the tale about the monk right who like his son falls off the horse and everyone's like i'm so sorry what terrible news and he just says is that so and then right after his son breaks his arm there's the call to war but his son can't go because his son has a broken arm and so everyone's like what great luck and he's like is that so and then something gets stolen and he just keeps saying is that so and there's like who knows if it's good or bad right so like winning survivor on the surface right how incredible but what happens when you give a 24 year old a million dollars usually not really great things happen so i had this million dollars i was 24 years old and i i started tundra gear in earnest but i'd never started a company before i had all these theories in my head But I had never actually gotten down to brass tacks to do anything. And so I was reinventing the wheel unnecessarily. And every time I'd hit like a dead end, I would just leave. I'd be like, I'm going to Machu Picchu. We're out of here. Because there was no financial incentive for me to stay. And I didn't know how to do it. I was scared. And I was selling these hats that I didn't love that represented for me a childhood trauma. Right? So I didn't believe in the hats. I was all by myself. The hats were made in China, it didn't resonate at some like deep level of how they were being made. None of what I was doing resonated at my core. And every time I got a no, because it wasn't something that like I felt deeply into, I would say, like, great, I'm gonna go take a vacation to Costa Rica or wherever. Peace. I'm. Yeah. And so within five years I was in debt. I was in fifty thousand dollars of debt after winning a million dollars five years previous. And you know, it was a very expensive postgraduate graduate school. It, it was hard. I remember, like, my thirtieth birthday came, and I woke up in the middle of the night, like, four a.m. with, like, oh my god, like, I, I'm a failure. Like, I have blown it, right? And so, you know, as luck would have it, Christy had a friend who was like, hey, I want to start a winter hat company. So he bought Tundra gear from me, and this is all when we started Christy Dawn. And I saw the way Christy used Instagram, and it was so different. Granted, this is six years ago now. And so because I had cut my teeth and I had made so many mistakes, I was like, great, let's do it. And let's learn from all these mistakes. And and the first thing that I knew was that Christy had an incredible sense of style and I knew she had a gift. And so then it was like, all right, well, how are we going to have these dresses made? Well, Well, let's make them in a way where we can believe in them. We didn't even really understand at the time just how detrimental the fashion industry was to the planet. Mm-hmm. At the time, but we didn't want to be a part of whatever it was we did understand. And so that's why we chose to use Deadstock Fabric, which is the leftover fabrics from other companies. But also, had- partly
0: why we used it too was because we started with such a low amount of funds. So, like, we did fall into the Deadstock using Deadstock because we knew we didn't want to have a ton of overhead, which most fashion industries do. You pay for 2,000 yards and make a couple styles in that. And then you're just sitting on that. So we were like, let's make the littlest amount we can and just see how it goes and just like breathe into it and see like how people respond and then just grow it slowly. Are you like my two favorite people in the world?
2: (laughs) Everyone must want to have you over at a dinner party because then you become the most interesting dinner party they ever threw. Listen to me, what you just said about the dead stock you guys, those of you listening in this time where it feels like all the lack of resources you know that 's the barrier to entry, why you can 't do what you want to do, talk about being resourceful you 're like, okay, we don't have a lot right now, but I have style, I have a vision, we have each other, we have our passion, we have our resourcefulness let's let 's use the fabric they don't use anymore, and it 's good for the environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we also had a belief system too, that we believed if we put enough energy and love into it, that it would grow naturally. That's just what we believed in. Anything. If you put energy into it, it will grow.
2: Okay. So Christy, you take it now for a minute. So what (laughs) happens
0: next? So I was modeling all the time. So we were like, okay, let's take $20,000 of my modeling savings. Let's put that into the company, which is not a lot of money to start a company And I knew I wanted to make dresses because that's what I lived in. So we started with five styles, which are still our best-selling dresses now. And we made 10 of each style. So we went to Ragfinders, which is a, a warehouse downtown that we still buy fabric from. It's a deadstock fabric warehouse. We bought enough fabric to make 10 dresses in each style. We took those dresses on a photo shoot. And what we did was we went on a road trip and we took two of my best friends. And at the time, I was pregnant. So that's a whole nother story. I birthed River and Christy Dawn at the same time. We got engaged on the trip, on the photo shoot. And, uh, you know, we wanted to really share with the world through our clothes that, like, we felt free and we were on the road and we were exploring and it didn't look like your average clothing company. And that was very important for us was to make the clothes experience a feeling for the person or the woman wearing the dresses. And I love going on road trips. I love the feeling when I'm on a road trip of exploring and just seeing new things and being with your best people. And so we did that. And we took these five different styles, and we hit the road and we just like really, we shot the dresses how we would normally if we were just on a road trip. And
2: I love that entire thing that it's a feeling. I always say people don't buy things, they buy feelings. Yeah. And, you, and that's you, like,
0: that's how I shop. Like I remember going shopping and I'd be like, where would I wear this? Like I'm going to be in Hawaii and I see myself like on the beach walking. And I remember Otis once was like, why are you always on a tropical island? I'm like, because that's just where I see myself. That's the feeling I get in these dresses.
2: It's so funny, but it's so true. Now, here's my one question. Where were you going when you are like, we hit the road?
0: We went up north to Big Sur, and we rented a cabin in some, like, random town outside of the Criso Plain. We wanted to go see wildflowers. And um, at a certain time of the year, the Criso Plain is, like, blooming with wildflowers. But we got there, I think, a little bit too late. But it was still so beautiful. And we just, like, drove down this dirt road. And we got naked. And we took photos with the dresses, like, hanging from our, our hands. And just, like, honestly went for an adventure. We'd stop at little, like... Burger Shacks, vintage stores, and we go to the beach. It was just, it was so nice, and that kind of like created the tone for Christy. Yeah,
2: clear. I mean, clearly that would do it. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so then what happens? When do people start buying it, and where do they buy it? Yeah. I think
3: back up a little bit because I think there was a few things that I think would be maybe interesting for your listeners to understand, yeah, tell is us. one, the first thing we did before we started is we called people who had fashion companies. yeah, who had women's clothing lines or men's clothing lines and we asked them one question each. And the question was, what would you do differently if you started now? And across the board, it was like, I would do things strictly online. Remember six years ago, things have moved really fast. It's hard to remember six years ago, but like this Instagram wasn't really a thing, influencers yeah. were a thing. But still, everyone was like moving away from this idea of like having fashion shows and just doing things online and no brick and mortars. And that was pretty much like the consensus was like, do it all online. And then the question was like, even if we make the most beautiful dresses in the world, like how does the world know about the dresses? And, you know, we were fortunate that we had a lot of friends kind of like who were social butterflies. And so the question was like, how do we leverage their social capital on our behalf? which is now called an influencer. But there, that wasn't really a word back then. And so we thought like, hey, you know what people always tend to do is post photos of themselves. So what if we did interviews where we put them in Christy Don dresses and shot them and then interviewed them and told their story? Like we wouldn't have to ask them to post. We wouldn't have to pay them to post. They would do it because they're like, hey, look at this cool story, this cool interview. And this seems really obvious now, six years later. But six years ago, no one was doing that. And so that was really how we were able to leverage, um, other people's social capital. And so we were able to grow a following and it was really a lot of, most of our business model was based on the way that Christy used Instagram. And, and we just assumed if Christy used it like this, there's probably hundreds of thousands of women who also use Instagram like this.
2: It's so great. So when you're interviewing them and telling their stories, did you create like a YouTube channel around it? Was there a name for that series of interviews? Or was it just like, we'll just do one-offs? and Or was there a theme? Like, we want to get people to tell the story about resilience or the story about beauty? Or, or was it just, let's just
3: free flow?
0: Really,
3: yeah, it was really, what's your story?
0: We called it the Friends of Dawn. And they were all my friends. And then we started growing. And then it was like, we'd reach out to new people that weren't necessarily like close friends. And you'd post yeah.
2: it on your Instagram?
0: Yeah. And we one had, minute videos. had a section on there weren't videos, they were just still. So like beautiful photographs of themselves doing or just being. Whatever it is that they wanted to share, we wanted to really make sure it was, they were inspired by it because that's what was going to get them to want to post it. It was like, we don't and have an it interview was like
2: in the caption. You would just like, yeah. in
0: the, okay. Like a small little snippet or something and like click here. We
3: Genius. also put it on our site. So there was a section called Friends of Dawn, which was where the interview lived. And so they'd obviously inevitably link that into whatever they posted
2: so smart okay and then when does the first sale happen gosh i don't even remember
0: do you remember the date december
3: 27th 2013 okay. that we wow. actually got live like we were hoping to be live well before christmas but that yeah. you never know, happens so what do you think it's gonna happen and, You
0: slackers and mm-hmm. i think
3: even like the first week we were sold out of everything that yeah. we had released
0: and i remember someone that we spoke to about asking their opinion, who was like a very successful businessman or woman said, design for yourself and design for your friends initially, because your friends are going to be the ones who support you right off the bat. And really that first week it was our community. Mm -hmm. Like they supported us and then it like would trickle out to their community and it would just grow and grow and grow. But I mean, I still design for myself because I have to believe in the product 100% for me to put it out there but in the beginning i remember it was like this is for my friends and myself and then we'll you know grow it into a outer universe so
2: that's amazing so has it remained completely online or are you in, and did you go into retail shops did you open your own retail shop tell us a little bit about how you played that out
3: so we we would have these like trunk sales we everything was out of our garage and we'd have these trunk sales like once a season basically Um, And we weren't doing seasons, by the way. Our whole business model was like, hey, let's make really small runs of things. If this body turns out to be a popular body, we can choose a new fabric and make 10 more. And the whole idea was like better to sell out quickly and release something the next week so that people have a reason to come back because in, in traditional fashion, you have like four times a year to go to a site, right? You know what they have, that's it. But if we could constantly be releasing small numbers of things, would always be coming back. And then you'd create that Justin Timberlake effect where he wasn't cute the first time you saw him, but you see him 17 times later and you're like, hey, he's actually really cute and a hell of a dancer. And so that was like the concept. But given that we were doing these trunk shows every season, we realized that there was value in people touching the dresses. There was value in people trying it on to understand the way our dresses fit, our grade rules. A pop-up became available in Venice and we took it. We set it up because we thought we'd only have it for three months, and it looks exactly the same way it <laughs> did when we took it. Um, we have never like really redone it, but yes, yeah, yeah so it's beautiful, and it does quite well.
2: Yeah, I know it does because I've been there, and I know a lot of people go there all the time. <laughs> um, how would you sort of share how gigantic it's become?
3: Well, no. I'll, I'll tell you that in the last in the last week, we've sold. 1200 dresses
2: that's the best thing you could have shared because you guys we're talking and having this conversation on March 25th mm-hmm. so that's a very important week to understand that if you're selling 1200 dresses right now mm-hmm. then we have a lot to talk about that's here that's working All right, before we keep going, let's just say a quick thanks to our sponsor. One thing I love about this conversation is how many different ways Christy and RS have pivoted in their lifetime. And I think it's so important to keep exploring new skills and deepen our existing passions. And that's why I love Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where millions come together to take that next step in their creative journey. Thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people on topics, including illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and so much more. With all this to explore, real projects to create, and the support of awesome like-minded creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Plus, it's really affordable. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. I think this is just what we all need right now, especially since we're stuck inside and seeking ways to fill our minds and be part of a meaningful learning community. One class I was interested in checking out is YouTube Success. Build an authentic channel that's worth the follow because I'm all about creating new things, especially from such an authentic place. Plus, we've been recording more of these interviews on video. So who knows? YouTube could be our next foray. Get two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes at skillshare.com slash dreamjob2. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to skillshare.com dreamjob2. That's two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes at skillshare.com slash dreamjob2. So this is like a one of those technical kind of questions. People say, but what do I do once I get a bunch of orders and I can't keep making this stuff really quickly.
3: Well, I think the question is, is like, what do you want? Like, have you heard the analogy of the businessman who goes down to Mexico and he goes to a small fishing village? He's like a stock trader in New York or whatever he is. And the man that takes him out on his boat is this like very humble man who just goes fishing every day. And the, the businessman says to him, you know, at the end of this, this fishing day, he's like, man, you, you've got a great thing. He's like, he's like, you should get three more boats and you could start to make an enterprise out of this. Cause there's so many people who would want to come and do this. The fisherman says, well, well, then what would I do? He's like, then you could make it into 10 boats and then you could make it into a whole fleet. And the fisherman keeps saying, well, well then what would I do? And the businessman was eventually you could just retire and fish every day. And the fisherman's like, well, that's what I do. And I think what's going on right now, these are really prescient times of like, Hey, like, what is it that we want? Like, what is it that we need and what do we want? Like, we all know we need clean water, clean air, fresh food and love, right? We recognize that in this time, that's really all we need. And so if this maker is happy and sustaining herself by knitting what she has and that's her capacity, then maybe that's all she wants. But I think like, rather than like allowing our economic growth model to determine or dictate what it is that we do like, what does your heart say? What do you want to do? Do you just want to sit and, and crochet all day long? And if so, like, why do you need to get any bigger than you are? The dream is to go fish every day on the beach, right? So how do we make every day fishing on the beach? And, and, and that's for each of us to decide. And that's a very internal question that each of us has to answer.
2: Mm-hmm. So true. But let's say you do want to grow. Well, how do you answer? Because I really don't know the
3: answer to that. We found a factory um, that would cost a lot more to make things, but the quality and the heart was there. And we ended up buying that factory and giving the owner of that factory a salary that he would have never gotten had we not bought it. Um, But it was a heart-centered experience. And we were aligned with our values of taking care of people and taking care of planet.
2: That's so amazing. So at what point Uh, How many dresses in were you like, I need other people to help me? Like, did you do it for a while by yourself or right away? Were you bringing, like, if you're just starting and you can't afford to buy a factory or even hire Mm -hmm. a factory, but you want a couple people to help you scale Mm -hmm. it, did you just find friends or give people patterns?
3: So in in LA specifically, there are a ton of cut and sew contractors. So you give them the pattern, you give them the fabric, you give them the trim. And you're like, here's how many I want to make. What's it going to cost? The trick for us was that because we're doing such small runs, most cut and sew facilities would consider those samples, and the cost of samples really high. Right. Um, and we got lucky; we found, you know, Pedro who was willing to do it and not charge sample fees.
0: Yeah, Pedro's had three sewers at the time, and now we have twenty-eight sewers, and those three sewers still work with all of us.
2: There's so much here. I think one thing that I wanted to ask you, RS was saying it before. When he was telling the story, he's like, I knew that because Chrissy had such good style and I knew because she's also so good at creating community on Instagram that we could build on both of those things. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you, creating community on Instagram? What is what was he referring to that you were already doing on social media that was unique?
0: It's hard to go back honestly to look at like what I was doing because Instagram world has really evolved in a different way now, but I think it was I was doing what people are doing now, but back then posting pictures of myself and what I was wearing um, during the day or like myself gardening or making some sort of like vegetarian recipe in the kitchen. And people would ask like, what is that? Or could you share the recipe? Or it'd be like me going on a hike and sharing what my mantra was while I was hiking. Um, And a lot of people would comment and I would create that community by commenting back and sharing and just connecting with people.
3: I think like at the very core of everything that we did and the reason I think we were successful is because it was all about value. Like why, why would someone follow me on Instagram? What value am I creating? Right. And like, you know, we talked about it a little earlier, like right now people really appreciate authentic messiness. And Mm -hmm. so we've had conversations internally about like things that we're posting. How can we be more authentic? How can we be more like, Hey, life is messy right now, right? So six years ago, there weren't content creators. We didn't have that word. That like photographer. If you were a photographer, you shot for brands. You didn't shoot to shoot Mm -hmm. Instagram. And so we were like, hey, let's create the greatest imagery and use it for our Instagram. And we did. We invested our minimal resources on content. We invested on imagery, and it was like, let's create the most beautiful images and now what we're doing right now, it's like, it's all about value. It's all about like, Hey, how can we be a valuable resource for people? You know? So like we have a larger team now and oftentimes things get lost in translation, but like, I'll give you an example. Some of the copy that got to my email for like these trying times was like, stay busy, stay positive. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not creating value for anybody. Let's not stay busy. How about, and let's not need to stay positive. Like how about let's feel everything and let's quiet down. Cause that seems to be like what's being asked for. And so like being really mindful of like, Hey, what is our messaging? And, and is it actually helpful to tell someone to stay positive in a time of like great transition is really inauthentic, right? Like, no, you're not always going to stay positive. You're going to be freaked out and that's okay. So how as a brand as a voice? Can we be something that people say like, Oh, I, I do find some comfort there and then they'll keep coming back. Right. Um, so you, you don't need to always sell things. It's mostly about value.
2: Mm, I love that question. Like what value do you bring? I mean, that's such an important question. Like if you want someone to follow you, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it's not just about like, look at me. It's like, Here, this is for you. I love all the things you shared because when I said, "Well, what do you think he was referring to?" and you're like, "I don't know what I was doing. I guess I would like go on a hike or post something vegetarian I ate or a mantra and and what i'm what I'm hearing from that is branding is these are all the things that surround these dresses that make me me that you now know like." the DNA spiritually of like what surrounds all of this. And now I'm not like we talked about before, I'm not just buying a dress. I'm buying into this lifestyle. Like every time I put this dress on, it's all these things. I love how you guys are just flowing with that. I want to ask you a question for people listening right now who are really suffering and they've lost their business completely. And they are having to ask this question, how do I pivot and make this be an online business, right? But If you were asked that question right now, and somebody is sitting there and they got to feed their family and they've, they've only known brick and mortar, what might you advise them to do? Or what might you suggest that you've done that you felt really help people pull off the online freeway and like gravitate to what you're putting out there? Because you've been selling so much of what you do online for so long. I mean, initially
0: I just thought like get quiet because that's where these ideas will come is when you can genuinely give yourself that space to get quiet and get clarity. And I know right now it may not seem like the easiest thing to do, but like for me, I feel like my best ideas come when I'm able to be the quietest and get creative. Like right now we're all being asked to get quiet and to get creative. Like I've had the most inspiration this last week of being home because it is Everything is so quiet and it's so still, but it's also very chaotic. So like there's this balance of these both worlds and I'm choosing to sit in this stillness right now and have the inspiration come to me. And I don't know what that looks like for other brands that are in brick and mortar. And I've seen some cool ideas online, like people are doing phone orders or they're letting one person in the shop and then they're like putting one, they're bringing one product home and they're shooting it. And they're saying, like, if you're interested in this, you can order it. And they're doing things slowly, like they're bringing things in slowly because we are being asked to slow down right now. And I think it goes back to the monk theory about, like, oh, is that so? Like, you know, just, like, letting it be. Like, who knows? This might be an amazing transition. and might bring something else, blossom in something else.
3: I'm going to read a passage that I found really interesting. Um, it says... How many shipping containers full of products to stock malls and Amazon warehouses shelves are truly enriching our human experience? This may be a very unpopular opinion, but if a business dies, there's a very real possibility that A, it wasn't truly providing essential value in the first place. B, the value it was providing had an unacceptable cost to it, which was being paid for by the earth itself and or people. See the time for a new, potentially more omni considerate creative idea is ready to express itself through those involved in that business. And it's time to innovate and move on. This mm. topic of sustainability also ties back into the scarcity conversation, because if whatever job or venture we are accustomed to making a living from suddenly disappears, perhaps it's because a deeper purpose for our unique skills, gifts, and talents want to emerge and only a scarcity mindset would insist on seeing the disappearance of one opportunity as a dead end when in truth there are infinite ways in which we each individually can reinvent ourselves.
2: That is amazing. That was so generous of you to read
0: that. So
2: powerful. Let's talk about that for a second.
0: It's just a powerful time to be alive and to be in business and to be parents and to be lovers and all of it. It's really powerful. We're really being asked to change right now and break down our walls.
2: I feel so in conflict right now. Like I I can feel that there's something that's right and good right now, mm-hmm. the way that I'm like walking around the block with my kids every day for an hour. Like it's so obvious to me that there's a stillness that's so healing and so needed right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and then I'm I'm struggling because I don't want to be out of attunement with people and there's a lot of empathy deficit going on and so I want to meet people in their suffering.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So
3: it's tricky. <laughs> it's really tricky, right? It's like I think when Christy and I say, or at least for me, when I say, like, hey, these are powerful times, it's not to negate that these aren't challenging times. Mm-hmm. In Tai Chi, there's a movement, it's the movement is literally called change is difficult. And our ability to surrender is directly correlated with the level of suffering that we will experience during this time. And it's not to minimize the suffering. It's not like there, unfortunately the reality is, is that there are going to be great losses and how we look at that loss. you know, Is it a dead end or is it a new opportunity?
0: And like, let's hope there's huge change because like for Otis and I, every day when we go to work and every day at home, we're like, is this honoring mother earth? And so hopefully hopefully the idea is that everyone can start thinking that way with their business or start with yourself. You know, you have to start with yourself before you can move it outward.
3: All of us have an opportunity and a responsibility to start to ask ourselves, how can I walk in more harmony with the rest of the planet? And like my, so my son last night, he was going to bed and he goes, dad, tell me a secret. And I said, all right, dad, <laughs> I said, all right, River. And I whispered in his ear, everything is perfect. And a few minutes later, he goes, dad, I'm really scared. I said, well, what are you afraid of? And he didn't really know what to say. And I said, well, where do you feel your fear? And he's like, I feel it all over my body. And I said, well, can you talk to your fear? Can you ask your fear what it wants from you? And so he got really quiet. Mm -hmm. And then I said, what's it telling you? And he really didn't have much to say, except he's like, I feel it everywhere. And I was like, I wonder if you could tell the fear that everything is perfect. And then in like a second, he fell asleep um, when he like heard that download. But like that is such an internal experience that we all have to wrestle with. Like this shadow work that's being called right now for all of us. It's like the pimple has come to the surface and it's time to deal with the negativity. It's time to deal with the hate, the fear, the pain. And by doing that, we heal. But by pushing it down and saying, I don't want this, it's just a longer healing. We're gonna heal one way or the other, you're just extending the healing process. You know, but how quickly can we like surrender and let it go? I think one thing that I would love to share with you is a project that we've been working on for the last year. Um, So as Christy Don got like more and more successful, you know, we, we hung our hat on the fact that we were sustainable in the sense that we were using dead stock fabric, we weren't part of a problem. But the reality is also we weren't part of the solution either, right? Like we were feeding off the excess of a very toxic system. And even though we weren't adding to it, we weren't reducing it either. And so I had been learning about regenerative agriculture. It's incredible. It's basically using indigenous traditional ways of farming and in in relating to the land. It draws down carbon. It addresses global warming. It addresses biodiversity. It addresses so many things. And it's like our best chance with global warming. But the general idea is that every input, the soil, the water, the farmer, the biodiversity improves because of this relationship. And it's really regenerative agriculture. There's been a focus on food. It's a small movement, but it's growing. And it dawned on me like, oh, my God, we grow our clothes too. What if we grew our own cotton regeneratively? And so it was an incredible timing. but. We reached out to this woman named Rebecca from Fibershed and said, Hey, we're looking to do our own regenerative cotton farm. The same exact day, this man in India named Nishanth, who has a company called Oshadi Textiles, reached out to Rebecca and said, I want to do a regenerative cotton farm, but need a brand. And so we aligned The harvesting the cotton from our first season of, of regeneratively grown cotton. And when, we met the farmers i've gone to india twice christy's come once and the kids and when you talk to the farmers you ask them like hey what's the difference between this method of farming and your conventional methods that you were using for 40 years and they say, well the first first thing is is like we don't have sores on our legs anymore walking through the fields secondarily like you don't have to ask if the earth is happy of course she's happy the earthworms are back the dragonflies are back and so, like, we're kind of at the end of our harvest right now. And in our best case scenario, we thought maybe we'd have enough fabric to make a thousand dresses. And this land was like, it was super not good land when we started because it had been grown conventionally for so long. It, like, so much extraction had happened. But this oh, land gave God. us like 50% more than our best case scenario yield. And it was four acres we started with. And then this season coming up, it'll be 50 acres. That and
0: is the coolest thing yeah. ever. And um, the idea is like we're hoping to make it a co-op so the idea is that we're mapping it out like how how did we do this here's what it looks like and we're writing it into our journals on our website so that it lives there so that other brands can have the same access or maybe these other brands want to opt in and grow their cotton on the farm as well so it's not like it's ours like we don't we don't want to own this like we want to share this so that other brands can take this in as well and hopefully grow their
3: cotton too. It's not just growing it. So we're growing it regeneratively, but then we're vegetable dyeing it and it's being so We're
0: growing all the vegetables too.
3: It's incredible. And so the idea is like, can we make something that benefits the earth? And then when it's time for this product to compost, that the earth can easily absorb it. Yeah. Like how can we do that? And I think like at the end of the day, when I look at all of this, Everything going on with the way we treat the earth and with the coronavirus, I think what we have is an intimacy issue. We have intimacy issues and it's our unwillingness to recognize that we are not distinctly separate from nature, but we Mm -hmm. are nature, right? It's not like we're defending nature, we're nature defending itself. And as we get more intimate with what we are, we recognize that there's so much depth and healing that happens in relationship. And so like, how do you get more intimate? And it can't be any more intimate than getting your hands into the soil.
0: It's also just like the second you realize you are that, why would you want to hurt it? You know, I think there's a really beautiful quote about that, Otis.
3: Yeah, I'll get it. Are you ready for the quote? We can only be ethical in relationship to something we can see, understand, feel, love, or otherwise have faith in. this is the core ethos of the Christy Don's farm to closet journey. It's to create personal relationships, personal connections with the people, the farmers and the soil itself. And by doing that, you you can understand that there's a relationship, right? And that's the job of the brand is to like connect all those relationships to be Mm -hmm. relationship. You know, one of the other things the farmer shared with us was that in 50 years of farming that land, they never once met anyone who was purchasing what they were growing and when we came and met them they were like
0: oh my god they're so
3: now that we've sat and had lunches and teas and you've so
0: grateful so like they're the most beautiful people
3: like we are going to take better care of this land and similarly we're going to take better care of them right like it's relationship it's intimacy
0: and at first when they you know shared with the farmers the project they were like oh no this is not going to work like No way. We don't believe in it. But okay, yep, you're paying us. Like, let's do it. And then now, Ishwari, the main matriarch on the land, she's telling all the villages, like, please come to this, to my farm. Like, it's beautiful. The people are beautiful. The soil is beautiful. The butterflies are back. Like, it's amazing. Like, look how much cotton we have. And now, so when we went in January, everyone from the village is like driving their bikes by, wanting to come in see the the cotton and it's like this amazing expansion where everyone's wanting to be involved in this project and be involved with the people on the project
3: to be fair though it was ashwari wasn't saying no it wouldn't work to be in with it was was the other village owners yeah the farmers aren't don't own this land it's somebody else but we couldn't get land like it was so hard to find land because the landowners were like you're crazy this won't work and it has worked and now like we we've had to turn down land as we've grown the project because we can't manage it all
2: It's amazing. I want to ask you one more question before we sum up because so many of the people who listen to this show, I feel so grateful to have met them all over the world. They are really big hearted people. And one of the things that they struggle with is making money because they don't want to charge anyone for anything. So, of all the people to ask, I want to ask you guys because you don't sell your dresses for $3. And you actually have positioned yourself in a way where people pay good money to wear those dresses because Mm. and all kinds of items of clothing because they want value, right? And so how do you support people in that? Like, where do you come into terms with that?
0: I'll share a story with you guys about my teacher, George. So George was a a spiritual teacher that we worked with for over 10 years who's no longer with us, but- He taught me so much in my life. My whole life changed when I met him. But I remember one session he'd come to the house every Tuesday and meet with Otis and I, and I remember asking him, George, why is it that I, when I'm modeling, I'm getting this rate of $1,200 and the model next to me, who's doing the same amount of hours and the same clothing as me is getting $5,000 for the day. And he looked at me and he was like, you don't believe that you're worth that much. And so, and it really clicked for me because I feel like I also had that same feeling of like shame. Like I don't deserve $5,000 for eight hours to just be here and modeling these clothes. Like that was something that I, you know, growing up in a small town and not having a lot of money. Like that was a lot for me, but also I was seeing that these other women were doing the same service and receiving more. And so for me, it was my belief system and we did this amazing meditation And he said to me, he said, okay, I want you to imagine yourself making some form of money, but it has to be practical. Like what's a practical number for you? Put it on a check, see it on your screen. Like when you click into your bank account, like I want you to visualize what that looks like. And, uh, I remember I visualized $50,000 check. And the next day I got an email from my bookers saying, you're, you have a casting tomorrow for a nexus hair commercial and the budget at below is $50,000. And I booked that job. And I remember being like, okay, and now I'm in my power and I'm seeing myself receiving and it, I believe it. And, you know, maybe it's not $50,000, which I was actually at the time like, Whoa, $50,000. Okay. Christy, you're going big, but it works. And I think it is like letting go of the belief system. You know, you are worthy. And like you said, you know, people want value and, you know, maybe you start slow, but like make it, make it a belief system that you can really hold on to and believe in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a really powerful story.
2: I think that um, when you shared that and he's like, you don't believe you're worth it. It's like,
0: oh, mm-hmm. because is feeling attached to it. You know, it's true.
2: That's yes. The thing. Like
0: pay attention to that. Like there's something there.
2: Yeah. And I think the point that you're demonstrating, money is a resource, money is, you know, oxygen, water. Like mm-hmm. if it's not mutually exclusive. It's not you're either either you have money and you are a jerk yeah. or you're poor and you get to be kind, right? Yeah. Like I've met people who are poor who are so generous. And I've met people who are poor who are not happy and they're not nice. And mm-hmm. I've met people who are really wealthy who do amazing things with what they're being given. Mm-hmm. And people who are wealthy I've met who are not nice. Yeah. And what's really fascinating is it's not how much money you have. It's about us and what we believe Mm -hmm. about what we're worthy of and all of that and what meaning we make out of it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This was such an amazing conversation. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can enjoy all the things you're putting in the world.
0: Yeah, we're on Instagram on Christy Dawn. Our website is christydawn.com
3: um what else um i think maybe the website and the inside
0: <laughs> yeah like, that's oh, it only outlets
2: <laughs> you guys thank you so much for being here especially in this time you shared such important things and it's such a gift the whole episode was such a gift i really appreciate it mm,
0: thanks kathy thanks for having us oh
2: my gosh How good was that? I could talk to them all day. Here are the takeaways. Number one, change is never easy, but when you feel a lot of pressure, it's probably a good sign that a flower is about to open. Number two, call the people who are doing what you want to do and ask them, what would you do differently if you started now? Number three, check in with yourself. What do you really want? What do you really need? Rather than letting the economic growth model dictate what you do, what does your heart say? Number four, be a brand, be a voice where people can say, I feel comfort there. You don't always need to sell just to bring value. Number five, get quiet and get creative. That's where ideas are born. Choose to sit in the stillness and let the inspiration come. Number six, if a business dies, there's a real possibility that it wasn't providing essential value in the first place. A new creative idea is ready to express itself, innovate and move forward. Number seven, we all have the opportunity and responsibility to walk in more harmony with the rest of the planet. Number eight, tell your fear that everything is perfect. And number nine, let go of your old belief system because you are worthy. By the way, you guys, Christy Dawn, she was really generous and she gave us a special coupon code that you guys can use. So if you're looking for some items and you want to check out her website, you can use code DREAMJOB at checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. And this is not a sponsored post or anything like that. They just wanted to give you a discount. Anything domestic they're shipping is free over 150 bucks while supplies last. And all orders receive a complimentary face mask so you can get some of those gorgeous clothes and stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I know that you're insanely busy and you have so much to juggle right now, especially. I really can't thank you for being here. It means the world to me. And we have so many more amazing episodes coming up. So make sure that you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's free to subscribe and it means so much. In fact, the more people who subscribe, the more we move up the chart, which helps more people to find the show. So if you love this episode, would you right now go ahead and take a screenshot and tag me? and put it in your Instagram story or put it on your Facebook and and tag me and I will repost it and I will say thank you. In fact, if you go ahead and post it, I will be continuing every Monday and Thursday after we release episodes for 24 hours after. I will choose three of you and send you an Amazon gift card um, just for going ahead and sharing the show and letting your friends know why it's something that they should subscribe to. Remember, if you want to jump in, we're doing the Don't Keep Your Day Job Book Club. It's free. You can go to Kathy com book club to join us that'll be today and Wednesday and we will send you some goodies for that you guys are the best I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday the podcast is a production of authentic for more info on advertising in this show visit authenticshows.com.